0: Lived for the last 10 years in Oklahoma City, and the Lord started calling several of us to, uh, to focus on planting a church here. And, uh, and so it's a dream come true to be here and to see the Lord moving in our midst. And if this is your first Sunday or you've been a part of this for the last couple of years as we've been praying for this gathering, uh, you know, it just made me think this week that we are we a are new church. Like this is our fourth Sunday. We're a new church, and in some ways, we're like an infant. And I don't know, I was thinking about my daughter Hannah. I still remember the day that she discovered she had arms. (laughs) You know, I don't know if you remember that, but where it's like the baby's like, oh my gosh what is this, you know? And, uh, and, you know, in some ways, like, we can be that way as, like, a, a, an infant church, you know, is like, oh my gosh, we've got parts that, that this, is, this is crazy. Uh, we're brand new. We're just getting started. Um, you know, we hope that this, is, this church is being formed in a way that roots are going down, that will grow to be a healthy, strong church for our own benefit, for the benefit of us, our lives, but I hope that roots are being planted here that will be a healthy church that outlives all of us, and people, uh, it'll be different people here, a part of everything, but that the things of Jesus and worship of him that is authentic and genuine uh, will continue to go well beyond us, you know, we're new. But here's the thing that struck me, though, too, is we are new, but there are a lot of things about us that, that isn't new. And so one thing that isn't new is that that many people, uh, as TJ was sharing a little bit about his story, uh, many of us have been walking with Jesus for, for years or even decades. You know, so our uh, relationship for many of us with Jesus isn't new, but thankfully for some people it is new. You know? And so even in the midst of a new church, we can have a lot of diversity of just people's experience with Jesus and how long uh, Jesus has been our Savior. And then another thing that isn't new is Jesus <laughs> isn't new. So he's kind of been working in this area for a long time. And uh, he is well acquainted with our area even better than we are. He is more acquainted with ourselves even than we are. Uh, but, uh, but he is alive and well, and he is not new in this community. And so thankfully we get to be a new church that is joining with the ancient days in the planting of this church. And thankfully this is not new. Okay, so we're not like like biting our nails, being like, "Man, I hope like the newer edition of the Bible comes out," you know, because like most of us, when we go to the bookstore, we don't go to the classics; we go to the new arrivals section, right? Because it's like somehow newer is better, you know. We just think that, and uh, and I don't know why that is, but we just operate that way. We always think newer is better, and what is great is that the Word of God is. Uh, the words of this ancient God that is alive and well and working in our midst. So as we open the Word of God, we are opening something that is, as we talked about last week, describes itself as sharper than any two-edged sword. You know, I'm, once again, like getting ready for hunting season to start, making sure my knives are sharp, and recognizing how hard that is to actually keep knives sharp. God's Word is very easy. It is always so sharp that it can actually cut into our very souls and show us things and lead us into things that are, pardon the pun, cutting edge, like truly cutting edge for our community and for us. And so so my prayer this morning is there was a time when Jesus met two guys, and Jesus knew who these two guys were, but these two guys didn't recognize Jesus. So the resurrection had just happened. They were walking to a place called Emmaus, And as they were walking to Emmaus, Jesus actually started telling them what is going on. Now they knew what was happening, but they didn't actually know at like a pull back the curtain way is like what is happening here. And Jesus started to reveal the Bible to them and to show how what is written in the Bible is happening right now. And as these people were listening to the stranger talk to them, what they said later was that their hearts burned inside of them as Jesus revealed Scripture to them. And later they realized, oh my gosh, that was Jesus talking to us the whole time and we didn't even know it. And that's my heart and my prayer for us this week and for this morning even, is that as we open the word of God, that our hearts would burn inside of us, not because I'm speaking, but because God is speaking to us through his word. And so the book of Ephesians, uh, we have these booklets. You're more than welcome to take them home. It's just the book of Ephesians and you can write in it if you feel like you're not comfortable writing in your Bible. Uh, These are great uh, little booklets that are on every other chair. Please take it with you. for the rest of us, if you, have a, if you don't own a Bible, we have Bibles uh, underneath the first chair of these. Uh, please, that's our gift to you. Take it with you. Uh, it's your Bible. Um, but the book of Ephesians is, uh, when you get in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John... Just kind of keep going to right, uh, then you'll get Acts, Romans, First Corinthians, Second Corinthians. Uh, then uh, you're gonna start. You're gonna see the book of Galatians. Uh, then you'll get to Ephesians. So we're at Ephesians, starting chapter two this week. Verse one says, "You were dead in the trespasses. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world." following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Verse 3. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. If there are just three things, like, If you're like, okay, I'm not going to really listen to very much of this, that's okay. But if there are just like three things that it's like, I want to walk out the door as I'm driving around this week, I I want these three things to like keep coming back to me. From this section, the first thing that I hope the Lord will just imprint in us is, you are dead. So it's not a big pick-me-up, but it's reality. You are dead. So... We can spend a lifetime mining this, these first four words of verse one. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You were dead. Or for some, reality this morning is you are dead. Okay, now this could be news that just like ruins your day. It's like, isn't church supposed to just be happy, happy, happy feelings? Um, facts are friends. When we go to the doctor, we don't want a doctor to tell us what we want to know. We want a doctor to tell us reality, right? Facts are friends. So it's a pure downer. So like if a doctor communicates the worst thing the a doctor could communicate to you, that's legitimate and some of you have experienced that. At the same time, if there is a possible cure, like, basically, you want the bad news. Like, just give me the bad news, right? And then we can go from there. What would be worse is if you just ignore the diagnosis. The doctor comes back and is like, okay, it's crystal clear what's going on here. Do you want to know about it? Nope, don't want to know. Are you sure? Yep, I just don't want to know. And you just leave. Well, then you've just totally disconnected from reality, right? You're not living in reality anymore. You're living in your own fantasy world. Well, the stakes are too high. The stakes are too high for God not to want us to know the truth. And he's written them clearly for us. So, the truth that we're at here is that we're dead. Okay? The word of God, when God actually intended these words, uh, Timothy tells us God's word is God-breathed. It's like, and these are the words that we read. Okay? When he describes our state, he doesn't say, a work in progress. Or he doesn't say, man, they're, they're kind of busted up. He doesn't say, well, they're uninformed, very intelligent people, but they're uninformed. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, man, those are really good, kind-hearted people. That's kind of the, you know, hey, you're good, kind-hearted, hard-working person. Like, that's how we would describe a lot of each. And there's a lot of good in that, But when God is wanting to really clearly communicate something about how he views us, he uses the word dead, okay? He then doesn't just say, like, well, that's open to anyone's interpretation of what that means. He then actually says, I'm going to tell you what it means. Look, here's what it means. First, three things that unpack the power contributing to us being dead. First is our own sin. In the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, So the first, Exhibit A, it would be God saying, you know what, look at your sin. And I would submit to you that we see this because none of us have ever taught our kids to disobey us, right? None of us have ever been like, okay, child, I know it's been pure innocence up to this point, I need to teach you how to sin now, or I need to teach you disobedience, right? It just comes from some like running through their bloodstream place, right? David was aware of this. In Psalm 51.5, he says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Okay? So the first power contributing this is that our own sin leads us to be dead. The second is the course of the world. See that uh, in that passage? Following the course of this world. One scholar writes this, If our sinful patterns kept us in death, couldn't we just break out of them? Can we just read some, some self-help book and get out of them? The situation is far more complex than that. According to what Paul says in Ephesians 2.2, 2, there is a dark kind of genius inherent in the present evil age that ensures that we will walk in transgressions and sins and continue our bondage and death cut off from the life of God. We are stuck in a reality that just so happens to direct us into the patterns of life that are enslaving and marked out by sinful and destructive styles of life. So if there isn't a major change, the default stream that we are all floating in is towards death, not life. And then the third one is Satan. Look at that. Following the prince, of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, kind of led me in like a memory lane thing of thinking of movies and uh, the movie Usual Suspects, if you remember that one, and um, and they borrowed a phrase from a French philosopher by saying the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was to convince the world he didn't exist. Here, though, in Ephesians, Paul is saying one of the things that deeply contributes to you being dead is Satan and his demons. Satan is real. We see that he's a real influence in the world, but we think of him wrongly. This is important. We think of him wrongly if we think of him as God's opposite. So like on my shoulder is like god who's good and on my shoulder is satan who's evil and they're kind of like a 50 50 thing he is the father of lies there is no good found in him but he is limited god is unlimited satan is limited his influence is still great as we see here in ephesians but in the book of job we see that god has satan on a leash and he can only go so far and only influenced things so far. But here in Ephesians we see he still has influence that is deeply contributing to all being dead. Then we see that we all live this way. Ephesians tells us and goes on in this section that not some people, not like, well, there's a handful of the bad seed. But no, it's saying that all people live this way. It was evidence that we were living as people dead in our sins. Look at verse 3. In the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. So it's not just we do things, but we're thinking things too. By nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So how bad is it? Right? That's usually like a, you get a diagnosis, so then kind of a quick is like, okay, that's bad news, but how bad are we talking about here? Well, there was a big debate in the fourth century so in the late 300s AD, before Netflix and stuff, people actually talked about this stuff and like, debated this stuff in the evenings after work. And, uh, and there were two, uh, two leaders that rose up that had vastly different views of how dead we are, okay? So the first one, so it's Augustine, so like St. Augustine, Florida, is named after this guy, Augustine. And then we have Pelagius, who in the first century brought this into the forefront. Pelagius is a British monk And he thought that people were pretty good. He thought that people were born as pretty good people, but what made them look the way the Ephesians is looking like is their parents were really bad examples. So they were born like pretty good, but as they observed their parents, they saw people sinning, and then they just did what their parents did. So if I'm going to blame someone for my sin, I'm blaming my parents because they just showed me bad examples, or maybe friends, aunts, uncles, teachers, coaches. So for Pelagius, Jesus is a great savior if you potentially need him, okay? There might be some people that have had good examples and might not need Jesus, but if you need Jesus, you've got a good savior. Now, Augustine, who lived in North Africa, he believed the Bible, and his own experience taught him that the story is very different, and he said we have free will but our will is hugely influenced by how dead we are and he said we sin not because of following bad examples but we sin because we're sinners that's why we sin is because sin runs through our veins and that's why we sin it's not because of bad examples so the way both of these people kind of spoke of this analogy so pelagius basically said hey think that we're all in like the ocean of life, okay? And we're all like treading water in the ocean. Then some people are making it to the shore, but some people are struggling to make it to the shore. And the people who are struggling to make it to the shore, there's Jesus, the life preserver. And we can throw the life preserver out and people can grab Jesus and Jesus will help them, okay? Augustine was like, no. Look at Ephesians 2, 1. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. So what Augustine said was, we are face down floating in the water. You throw me a life preserver, it's just gonna lay on top of my back. I have no ability to grab it. I am dead in my trespasses and sins. The only way for me to be rescued is for someone to actually get me, revive me, totally bring me back to life so that I could even potentially grab onto Jesus, okay? And for 1,600 years, people have said, as they read the Bible and pray, for 1,600 years, the church has said, Augustine views the Bible in the way that Jesus taught us and the way that the Bible teaches us. Pelagius is, it's, it's, it's kind of like the spirit of our age, is like, there's just like a soul island Menards, and people can go there if they need it. But Augustine's like, no. There isn't one person that can be alive here if it isn't for the work of God. And here's why I spend a decent amount of time on this, is because if we don't fully embrace this as an accurate view of reality, if we don't fully embrace how dark things are, if we don't fully see how pervasive the darkness is, we're not going to see these next two words in the way we need to see these next two words, okay? A power... These next two words, there is power here of the reality that it's speaking of that will not just change someone's day, but will change your life. Change your entire family. Be a light that we hold up to change the course of our entire community. Two little words breaking through the clouds. Look at verse 4, but God. And that's it, man. Like if there's so of like the three things, if you like get tattooed onto your soul this morning, the first I would say is that you are dead. And man, you could drive around, look in the mirror and be like, "You were dead, man. Drive around. you were dead. I know it feels silly, right? But it's real. I then say, "But God." Those two words change everything those two words are why 17 people moved here to be a part of this church why so many people have 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 radically changed their lives to be a part of this is but god but god being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses he made us alive together with christ by grace you have been saved And raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable, you can't even measure this stuff, the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. But God... Say this to yourself, like, let it be the air that we breathe. In hard times, in good times, you were dead, but God. This is a truth that clarifies both the state of the world and the hope for the world are both found right here in these verses. How did we come to be alive? Oh, man, I just read a really good book, and, you know, I'm pretty smart, and I just knew to choose Jesus. (laughs) No. I mean, God chooses a lot of really smart people, but we were all dead. And we can only say, but God. Tell me your story. Oh, man. God, I was dead, but God. Dead people don't rescue themselves. The first one to move to the rescue wasn't you. It was him. He wasn't waiting for you to get your life together. He isn't waiting for you to get enough good works to outweigh your bad works. But instead but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he showed us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Me being dead is made alive, not just so I can go and do whatever I want, but I'm made alive together with Christ. Why did he do this? And I I wanna say something to you that maybe people haven't said to you, maybe even for a lifetime. Why did he love you like this? just because he loves you. Full stop. Well, because I paid him back, right? Or I'm gonna pay him back. No, like he, his mercy is so great that he loves you like this because he loves you. He's not staking it on you. It's out of his own love for you that he's doing all of this for us just because he loves you. He isn't also just like giving us a get out of hell free card and maybe like kind of discreetly keeping us over in the corner, kind of embarrassed about our lives. Kind of like, yeah, I saved you. You're going to go to heaven, but ugh, like, get. Up. that's not the way he treats us. Look at this. He raised us up with him. Sometimes it's easier for you to think, well, I'm sure he did that for that person. I'm sure he did that for TJ. I love TJ. God probably really loves TJ too. But no, this is speaking about the room. He raised us up with him and he seated each one of us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show to us the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. It's like he did that for dead people who didn't deserve any of this? Yes. Then we come to one of the most famous verses of the Bible, a verse God has used to bring many dead people to life in verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. The crazy idea here is when you put your faith in Christ, if you say, like, Jesus, okay, you've been pursuing me. I am putting my trust in you, Jesus. I believe, help my unbelief. You're the author of my faith. All these things are found in Scripture. But saying, I'm putting my trust in you, Jesus, he would say, oh, you receive the gift. You'd be like, no, I put my trust in Jesus. He's like, yeah, way to receive that gift. It's, it's one of those like really interesting times where it's like in us doing something, we're actually receiving just a gift from God. Our whole existence is founded on a gift. That's why, I mean, I saw tears in people's eyes as we were singing Amazing Grace, because that's what it is. It's Amazing Grace. And that was a guy who was responsible for murdering many, many people. John Newton, who wrote that, was part of the slave trade and was responsible for ships of human beings shipped from Africa to the States. And he witnessed with his own eyes cargos being lightened, which meant human beings made in the image of God were just dumped in the ocean. And when he thought about what he deserved, he deserved death. And we would all say, he deserves it. And God would say, yeah, that's why my son hung on the cross, so that even a guy like John Newton could receive the grace of God and could write amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And We'd be like, dude, you were a wretch. And he'd say, I know. And I was found. He received the gift. You were dead, but God, he makes us alive. It's his grace. It's his mercy in our lives. There's no room to boast. He's given us the gift of faith. Has he given you this gift? Have you received it? Do you know that this is the only prayer, it's interesting, this is the only prayer in Scripture where God says, I will answer that immediately when anybody prays it. Some of us have been praying for people to be healed and we will continue to pray those prayers until God says stop or maybe heals them physically or heals them by taking them home. But the only prayer where he's like, I will answer that immediately whenever anyone prays it is anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then the third, so we were dead, but God, and now, third, you are swept up into his mission. You are swept up into his mission. Look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're not just dead people who've been brought to life but are really now just, uh, you know, in some ways you could be like, hey, what are these people laying in this room? It's like, well, there were people who were dead, now they're brought to life, but they're, it's, that was like a crazy transition, so now they're on life support, and they're just waiting for heaven. Instead, we are living alive and well, a new story that he is now writing for us. I would have never dreamed I'd be preaching a sermon right now in Collins, Iowa. Like, that was not in my cards when I was a computer programmer for John Deere. That was not my plan. I've talked with several of you about how crazy it is that we are now here in Collins, focusing on Collins, Maxwell, Baxter, Colonesco, West Marshall, that they would see the beauties of Jesus we're now his church not just waiting for heaven but we're now alive to live for god and the word he uses is his workmanship okay this is the greek word poema and this word poema is used for god's creation so in the book of genesis we're told that in six days god created everything and then he rested on the seventh day not because he was tired but he rested to be an example to us, to show us the healthy rhythms. And so he rested. What's crazy, though, is here that word poema is used to say he's still creating. He created everything in six days. Now his creation is us. Dead people who are brought to life. Now we are his poema. We are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared in advance, that we should walk in them. We're saved for a purpose. It's to do what he calls good works. Good works don't save us, but saved people, abiding in Jesus, devote themselves, and they yearn for good works to see the rays of sunshine breaking through. It's intriguing, though, that he prepared them in advance, that we need to just walk them out. Like, that is his intimacy with us is the good works that we will do, he's already wrote the script. He's gonna ensure that that script comes to be, but that's one of the reasons why we pray from 9.15 to about 9.45 every Sunday morning. You're welcome to join us too. And even this morning, we were just praying like, God, you already plan this day. Would we just walk closely enough with you to walk it out and to walk out whatever you have for us because this is about you. This is not about us. It's also important for us in a couple of ways. One is that one of our distinctives as a church is human flourishing. Walking with Jesus, as we see here from Ephesians two, it doesn't mean that life isn't going to be really, really hard, and there's going to be some really tough things. And the Lord even He said, "In this world you'll have trouble, but take heart; I've overcome this world." Or weep with those who weep. I mean, he, he he's not he he's not ignorant to those things. He's more aware of them than we are, and at the same time, though as we follow Jesus, we will flourish as much as human beings possibly could in the ways that he describes it and then be a light to our community to be a light in dark places. Uh, our mission as a church, as sacred mission church, exists to multiply gospel communities that love God, love people, and push back darkness. That uh, pushing back darkness is a real part of who we are as a church. We don't just sit back, be people who are dead, But graciously, we've been made alive, and now we're designed by him, which he's already planned out, to do good works, pushing back darkness that people would see the light of the world for the glory of Jesus. Um, So as our worship team comes up this morning, just a a few questions for us. Um, That was the cue to the worship team, by the way. Uh, (laughs) um, One is, man, will we just give ourselves to be swept up into this mission? At the end of Titus, uh, one of the things that that is communicated is that he said, hey, live these out so you won't live a meaningless life. And that's uh, not my words. Those are God's words. But, uh, you know, I mean, I think that we found that, like, social media and all those things, man, they've got a real limit, you know. When, like, the best companies in the world are giving me what I want, in my feed after a while i'm like i don't know if i like what i want you know (laughs) like it's not quite fulfilling like it used to be you know and um but to realize the mission that god has for each one of us and the purposes he has for each one of us that he's already planned out and now we get to walk him out is um is just a beautiful thing for us to step into will you see yourself that indeed you are being swept up into this mission will you see that indeed you were dead and maybe you don't believe that right now, you don't agree with that, and I would just ask you to ask God about that. He's not playing hide-and-go-seek, okay? He's revealing his truth to us. And so uh, I think a beautiful prayer is to be like, God, I'm not sure if I believe this. Would you show me? If these words are your words, would you make my heart burn inside of me as I hear your words? You are his workmanship, created in Christ for good words, good works. Let's be swept up into his mission, prepared for us in advance. Uh, we each week take communion, and uh, the, the bread represents his body that was lived in our place. Perfect life, perfect Savior lived in our place so that we, can't, we don't need to boast. We can only boast in Christ. And so this is his idea. Jesus gave us his bread Bread of life that we take. Uh, Then uh, the dark color is wine, light color is juice. Obey your conscience in that. Uh, But these elements represent uh, his blood that was shed for us. We take both of these from the inside out because he changes us from the inside out. Um, This is a meal for those who are made alive in Christ. This is a meal for Christians. Um, And what I would encourage you to do if if you say, "Well, I don't think I'm trusting in Jesus right now." Uh, just what I would do is is spend that time either coming to Jesus, don't come to the meal, come to him himself, Uh, just talk to him, say, okay, I'm coming to you, putting my faith in you, let us know, we'd love to circle around and pray for you, Uh, but also you might just use that time just to pray and just ask him, maybe uh, it might be the first time you've prayed in years, and uh, just saying, are you real? Would you show me, okay? But for those of us who are walking with Jesus, uh, let's come, and the way we'll do it, uh, different churches do things different ways, and since we're four weeks old, the way that we'll do it this morning is that come and, and just tear the, tear the bread off and hold it in your hand. And there's a lot of liquid there, okay? <laughs> so it's okay if it takes a couple of sips, okay? Don't feel bad about that. We actually chose intentionally to have a lot of liquid in there because Jesus didn't hold back anything. And so it should feel overwhelming in one sense when we take his bread and we take, take the, the uh, juice, the wine. And so, uh, so we'll, we'll rip off the bread, take either the wine or the juice, and then go back, to your seats and we'll just stand together and then we'll take it as family. We'll like all at once take the elements together and then the team will lead us into worship. So let's come, let's respond. By grace you have been saved through Nothing you've done It's the gift of God You, that you did not hold back you had every reason to walk away and you walked towards us live the life that we deserved that we didn't deserve Lord uh, we deserve what you did on the cross and instead you live that in our place we you you live the life we sh- we, sh- we tried to live but you perfectly lived life in our place and then you fully took the punishment that we deserved and lord all that we can say is thank you we want to find ourselves in you thank you for your life lived for us lord we take this bread in faith lord receive our worship